Welcome to Bible Believers Fellowship and the ministry of BBFOhio.com. I'm Pastor Greg, and I welcome you to our current events update and then our study in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 52, titled, We Turn to the Gentiles. The conclusion of this two-part message can be found at BBFOhio.com. As we now begin, this is part one of two. The current events update. Now, Israel still at war as of 2424. I believe it's day 121. Um, 136 hostages remain in Gaza, and as long as those hostages, I know some people get, well, that isn't very Christian of you, what I'm going to say, but I don't care. As long as those hostages remain in Gaza, then people should die. Amen. Amen. I don't, you know, that is what the reality of this situation is. Until they give those hostages back, then the, those uh, who are in any way aiding and abetting Hamas are a part of the problem. Amen. Amen. And uh, the battles regarding this situation continue to raise. We mentioned this Wednesday in Gaza, which is uh, down on the southwest corner of Israel near the uh, Mediterranean, the West Bank, which is basically the whole uh, west border of uh, Israel against Syria and Jordan to the east, I'm sorry. The, uh, it's called the West Bank because of the way they're claiming it is part of, it's not supposed to be part of Israel. You ever think about that? It's actually the East Bank. Um, Syria, up north of that, the Red Sea, Jordan, and in Lebanon. Uh, IDF struck Hezbollah, which is in Lebanon, uh, yesterday um, because of three attacks that came from Lebanon into Israel. And all these dumb Americans crying about it. And if that were happening to any of the nation, countries on our border or anywhere else, if they were shooting missiles at us and killing uh, Americans, we'd be crying for death. But because it's Jews, then a lot of Americans don't believe they have a right to do that. So this is what the battle site uh, map looks like. I showed this on Wednesday, but all those little places where you see the flare-ups, those are where uh, battles are going on, but up in like Syria, there's actually several sites, in Lebanon, several sites, and uh, that's how inflamed that area right now is, and it could expand. I've got the little red siren up there by Iran because they are, they're behind a lot of it. Uh, I, not, I am not necessarily in agreement that we should have war with Iran at this point. I'm in agreement that we should let Israel wipe Iran out. That's what I'm backing, personally. And for the record, I completely agree with those Jews it might, you might have seen on the news over in Israel who are blocking aid to Gaza. Listen, if you have this mentality that, oh, those poor people in Gaza, they need food, they need this and that, you're just brainwashed. You turn off the crap that you're watching. Get back to reality and think if this was happening to you, if it was your relative and loved one that's being held hostage, would you feed and clothe the enemy? No, no you would not. It's called war. And so I agree with what's going on over there. Hundred protesters that have marched along the port of Ashdod and are now gathering in front of the port of Ashdod, claiming that they have stopped the humanitarian aid. Now, the people here 
have a very strong message and I uh, suggest that we listen to one of the demonstrators with whom I spoke earlier. We're in the middle of war. During war, we do not help the enemies, even more so when they have our hostages there and they're treating them as cruelly as you can possibly treat people. There's no way in the world that they can get any help from us. If they came, they killed, slaughtered. I don't even want to continue the, the description because it's so bad. And how are we going to help them? We are here in the name of all the Jewish people. It's not for us. It's not something personal. It doesn't have to do with me or with you. It has to do with that we're in the middle of a war and we have to win. And winning is that our hostages should come home safely without us helping the enemy at all. It, it, it's crazy. You have to be an idiot to think that giving, to giving things to help the enemy is what's going to help you win the war and get your hostages back. We're not ready for that to happen at any chance. So what are you going to be doing? you're blocking the roads right here what we're trying to do is to make it clear first of all that there's no way that we're against it that people should understand that the jewish people do not agree with giving help to the people in gaza now you have to understand it's our husbands my brothers my brother-in-laws that are fighting there and to see now us standing here trying to stop i see that we're participating with them in the war to make sure that hamas don't get stronger will we be able to stop the trucks from getting to gaza i don't know but it will be making it clear that we don't want to help the terrorists in any way, Hamas in any way, yes, we're making it clear. And that's what's important. This is Pierre Kloschendler at 24 News at the industrial port of Ashdod, southern Israel. I think that lady said it well. <laughs> Give them nothing until all hostages are returned. Amen. Amen. I just, uh, it, things, happen, things are happening in this world today and it just makes you think, what, this world is insane. It's just insane. 136 Jews being held hostage and you're going to feed and clothe and aid and abet your enemy. It just makes no sense. But we'll leave it there for this week. Number two, of course, the January 6, 2021 20, uh, uh, Fed surrection. It's a complete sham insurrection. Forgot the other quote there, Mark, but... It's a Fed-orchestrated plot in which so-called insurrectionists didn't deploy any guns or bombs. <laughs> Again, you're calling something an insurrection whenever they didn't even try to defeat the enemy with anything other than entering into a building that they were invited to go into. Think of that. That's not an insurrection. But what we are seeing is Orwellian brainwashing. And everybody who refers to that legitimately as an insurrection is brainwashed. Or they're one of the deceivers who are trying to deceive you. And then they exited the building like they'd been to a movie or a ball game. As a matter of fact, they probably exited more calmly than uh, a ball game. Uh, because at the ballgame, usually the losing crowd is drunk and rowdy. <laughs> These guys didn't exit like that. Watch this video. This is a video clip. That's how, this is how people left. Now watch it. Hey, like bottled water? Anybody want bottled water? <laughs> that's, that's supposed to be an insurrection. And everybody's allowed to leave and go home. And they're all waving bye to the police. And the police are saying, all right, have a good night. Man, it's worse than 9-11. I mean, oh, the humanity. <laughs> it's just, it's one of the most blatant examples of the Orwellian brainwashing of 
the government and the so-called news media they own. And it's just amazing. It's so clear and plain right before our eyes. And the leftists are already admitting that it was a big show. This is a clip from NPR where they talk about how this was all just a big staged event to fool voters. Thompson's committee had gathered a trove of information. The challenge, what to do with it. The one thing that we knew was the information that we have is compelling. The thing we needed to do was tell that to the American people in a compelling way. So that's why we brought in a former president of ABC News. Yeah, I got a call pretty much out of the blue um, from the January the 6th committee. They wanted, they wanted a storyteller. And while they were brilliant, they were brilliant lawyers, storytelling for a mass audience is not what they do. To bring in a guy like this who would think outside the box really did prove to be fruitful. And it was Goldston who really began to envision this as, in a way, a kind of mini-series, that there would be you know, sort of nine episodes, and that these episodes would tackle particular themes. Attack on the Capitol, the investigation. The first hearing was primetime television. As the nation is about to witness a defining moment, the first hearing before the country, the results of the January 6th investigation. This is an extraordinary moment in American history. When it came to that first hearing, we knew how high the stakes were. Is about to hold its first primetime hearing. We were either gonna, you know, make people realize that this was important, you know, or once, once you've lost them, you've, you've lost them for good. On the evening of June 9th, 8.01 p.m., the doors opened. My heart was beating pretty fast on June 9th, and it, it was a real question uh, of, is this going to work or not? All right, everybody, here we go. Five on the line, please. I'm in this tiny control room right up the stairs from Cannon Caucus, and we count down to, to the start of the hearing, and at that point, what can you do? Here we go. In three, two, one. The select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Without objection. We wanted to make sure that this was a presentation that would grab the audience and hold on to them. Chairman Thompson loved to say, it's got to pop. You understand. This was something produced by the people that orchestrated the whole January 6th debacle, hoax, and yet it's clear they don't realize what they're telling you is it's a big show. It's a setup. And it's all being done to fool people into thinking that in order to save democracy, you have to destroy democracy. The only thing we have in this country that is democracy is democratic elections. And then the elections give us our representatives. And in order to save democracy, these people are going to destroy our democratic elections. That's what's behind this whole thing. And that's why right now the Supreme Court is considering the decision as to whether or not to allow states to keep the opposition party candidate off the ballots in those states. Think of that. That's the Marxist government you have today. 
We are under a Marxist regime. Marxist in policy and Marxist in their operating procedure. Gaslighting is now policy by the administration that is in control of the United States government. Gaslighting is policy. And the Bible predicted, 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You just remember that. that that's where you and I live right now. Amen. Deceiving and being deceived. We have to make sure we're, obviously we're not a deceiver. We don't jump on board with the whole thing. And obviously also we don't want to allow ourselves to be deceived. And the only true guard against that is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, have His Holy Spirit within you, Amen. be committed to the Word of God as your authority for everything that, in which it speaks. Amen. That's the only guard you have. And when you do that, you won't land on the same side of the fence with sodomites. You won't land on the same side of the fence with Marxists. You won't land on the same side of the fence with baby killers. You won't land on the same side of the fence of all the wicked. Amen. As long as you remain true to the Word of God. Amen. Alright, be informed and pray accordingly. Amen. Alright, Acts 13, 13-52 titled, We Turn to the Gentiles. And of course, if you've been following along, we've emphasized that that's the theme of the book of Acts is a transition from Mosaic law to the gospel of grace. And this is a big turning point in this book. We close out our study here with Paul preaching to unsaved Jews in synagogue. That's important to nail that down as we'll see. We're going to start by just reading 13 through 16. Acts 13, 13 through 16, read the even verses. I'll begin in verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Amen? So Paul takes the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue. That's what we're seeing here. Uh, we'll see him at Antioch, Pisidia. That's not Antioch of Syria. That's two different Antiochs. And uh, this one, as we showed on the map, is above Cyprus uh, on the map, outside of the region. And his first sermon runs from verses 17 to 41. And then we'll see the response uh, of the Jews and Gentiles and proselytes there uh, in that synagogue and in that city verses 42 to 52. But let's start here with uh, Saul and Barnabas. Well, I, should, I didn't add his name here, but it's a very important point that uh, John Mark is with them, of course. And verse 13, it says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, that's a reference to John Mark, 
departing from them returned to Jerusalem. And his departure is going to come, uh, become a point of contention in a couple of chapters, Acts 15. So we'll not address that right now. We'll come back to that. And verse 14 says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. That's, this is a very important point. This was not church on Saturday Sabbath as cults falsely teach. There are cults and cultic groups who teach that, see, Paul went to church on Saturday. And they use these references to try to prove their point. He's not at church. He's at synagogue. Things that are different are not the same. A synagogue is not a church. <laughs> and a church is a local church in the sense of Christians meeting there, and they met on the first day of the week. Now, we're not going to go into detail about that, but that's what we have and we will in a future study uh, cover that. But some of the Seventh-day Sabbatarian cults that you may have heard of, the oldest, by the way, is called Seventh-day Baptists. And that goes back to uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, some groups among the Baptists uh, before the Reformation, by the way, and they decided, oh, we, we, they misread these texts like we're talking about, and somehow decided they would start having church on Saturday Sabbath. Then came along uh, Seventh-day Adventists in the 19th century, and that's the largest group. Now, they started when a guy named William Miller predicted the second coming of Christ and obviously got it wrong because we're still here. Amen. By the way, William Miller, no relation. But uh, he then, he went back to the Baptist group and, and uh, repudiated what he had claimed, but a bunch of other people said, no, no, we just think it's a little different than what he thought. And they then developed under a false teacher named Ellen G. White what is now known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, where they believe, among other false teachings, that we are supposed to still keep the Saturday Sabbath, which they don't actually do. Uh, they pretend to keep it, and they have their church services on Saturday. Another group are the Armstrong Church of God. Now, originally it was called the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, and some of you uh, old enough maybe to remember when they were a big group. They were on the radio a lot and everything, and Herbert W. Armstrong was the founder. Um, after he died, though, a, a fellow whose name is, I think, Koch is how you pronounce it, uh, he took over and he steered that group toward the evangelical doctrines that all evangelical Christians agree on. Now, they didn't go far enough in a few places. They're still not a group I recommend, but I don't consider them a cult any longer because they preach that salvation is not of works, and they stopped pretending to keep the law, and that sort of thing. But then a bunch of those people broke off, and before that even happened, Herbert's son, Garner Ted Armstrong, got caught cheating and committing adultery and all that, and uh, so he left. They said, you can't be a preacher anymore, so he started his own religion. He called it the International Church of God, I think. And so there's several different splinter groups, but I want you to understand there are other Church of God denominations that have nothing to do with Armstrong. Uh, Church of God Cleveland, Tennessee, Church of God Anderson, Indiana, and there's independent churches of God. So just because they call themselves Church of God, don't think that they're all part of this same cult. It's important to just be careful with the information you get and be specific. There's also these Hebrew Roots movements. And the Hebrew Roots 
tell you that we've gotten away from our Hebrew roots. We need to get back to it. And they always bring you back under Sabbath and back under Mosaic law. But they can't keep the law. We said this to you before. To keep the feast, they pretend to keep the feast. They pretend to keep the law. You have to have a temple in Jerusalem. You have to have a priesthood with sacrifices. Or you can't keep the law. You can't keep the feast. It's all pretend. They're just play acting. And... Uh, then you have also Messianic Judaism. A lot of them, I believe, uh, there are Messianic Christians, Messianic Jews are Christians, but a lot of the organizations and denominations that have been founded are very cultic. And some of them are flat-out cults. They preach a work salvation. Some of them uh, deny the deity of Christ. So just because someone says, I'm a Messianic Jew, doesn't mean anything. You've got to ask them what they actually believe. Now, uh, the... They call it the Beth Temple, the local one. What's it called? Beth Messiah. Messiah. Uh, they are a good uh, group of Christians there. We don't agree with some of their particulars, but I believe those are saved people who preach the gospel. But there are other groups that you got to really watch out for. And there are dozens of smaller groups. So then the question is, well, Sunday's our Sabbath, not Saturday. Well, that's not true either. And uh, all, a lot of the Protestant groups in their statements of faith will say that Sunday is the Sabbath. There's, that's just not true. There's no Sabbath day observation in the New Testament except for under the law. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, until Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen again, you're still under Mosaic law. So there's Sabbath there. But there's no Sabbath after the resurrection of Jesus Christ as far as believers in Christ are concerned. In all the epistles, if you start from the book of Romans and go all the way through Revelation, you know, the Revelation, book of Revelation starts with seven epistles to the seven churches. And if you go all the way from Romans to Revelation, Sabbath comes up once. You know that? The word Sabbath, do your own search, is in Colossians 2. Turn over there real quick. Colossians, right before Galatians. Or right after, I'm sorry, right after Galatians. Colossians, it's after Philippians 2, verses 16 and 17. This is how Sabbath is addressed to Christians in the epistles. Read verse 16 when you're there. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, Look what verse 17 says. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The, to, to establish a Sunday Sabbath or a Saturday Sabbath violates that text. And if you, it's for example, uh, vegetarianism, veganism. It's not a sin until you tell me that it's a sin to eat meat. You tell me it's a religious requirement to be a vegetarian, which is Seventh-day Adventists, for example, go they, that far. They, they are vegetarians and push vegetarianism. That's wrong. That's, that's false teaching. And the Bible says in the last days, one of the things they'll do is forbid pe people to eat meat. The doctrine of devils. Eat the bugs. <laughs> or in drink, it's a sin to get drunk. But when I start adding to God's Word and telling you that your friend down there who goes to the uh, other church down the road who has a glass of wine with dinner is sinning, having a glass of wine, you're, you're sinning because you're adding to God's Word. Yeah. 
respect in any holiday or holy day. I enjoy Christmas. I really don't care for Valentine's Day. One of the things Jenny and I agreed on when we got married is we weren't going to bother with Valentine's Day. It's just a, it's just a ridiculous Hallmark holiday, as they call it. Yeah, we have our uh, anniversary. We actually have a 10-10 anniversary of when I proposed. And what did you say? Yes. And then we have 11-19 every year is our anniversary of our wedding. And then September 7th and 18th, we have birthday celebrations. That's enough. We're, done. We're good with that. But if you say, well, we go out every Valentine's Day and my husband just does this. And, but I'm not fine. See, I'm keeping it biblical. I'm not going to judge you. If you have a, and at least all ball crazy people over here, what is it? You do month anniversaries. You know? That's wicked! You're not going to get up here and judge them for that. It wear me out, but they want to do it every month, and you know, that's great. The only time we're ever to judge a holiday isn't because of the holiday, it's because of something being done, like when it comes to Christmas. I've said this before, if you go to Mass, that's wicked. <laughs> if you just celebrate Christmas and you have a good time, but if you're doing something, some people get drunk on Christmas. That's wicked. We don't do uh, New Year's, really. I mean, we used to kind of stay up and then kiss and go to bed, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, now we don't even stay bother staying up for it anymore, you know. But if you do, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We warn people it's a bad day to be out driving. If you go home at 2 a.m., you know, be careful. But uh, that's up to you. But, you know, if I get up here and start saying, well, there's a lot of drunk people and there's a lot of bad stuff going on New Year's, so it's wicked. You shouldn't, do, you shouldn't celebrate New Year's then I'm being stupid.